I want to give you some, uh, just a little bit of background before we dive into where we are this morning and where we've been the last, last few weeks. So last Sunday we looked at the beginning of John 10 where Jesus says he is, he is the gate. And the context of that is the Pharisees who in chapter 8 had attempted to stone a woman for an adulterous relationship in the Feast of Booths. So apparently a young woman had probably been seduced by an older man and they wanted to stone her. And of course, Jesus steps in and says, he who has no sin, let him cast the first stone. And then we see in just after that in John 9, when Jesus heals a man's eyes so that he can see again, and this man confesses Christ and the Pharisees excommunicate him. In other words, they say he is out of the kingdom of God because of his testimony. And it's in that context that Jesus says, I am the gate. And then he gives these two pictures, and he describes a a sheep pen in two distinct ways. The first is, at the very beginning, those first four verses of John 10, is the city pen. And in the city pen, if you were a shepherd, you'd bring your sheep in, and you'd essentially check them into the pen for the day as you do your shopping or whatnot around the city. And then when you left in the evening, you would call him out by name. And Jesus describes his sheep, how people are saved, that he calls them out of the world by name. And then he gives the second pen, which is a countryside pen. And if you were in the countryside, you'd see these giant stone round pens, but they had no gate. And the reason they had no gate was because the shepherd himself was the gate. And so the shepherd would put their pen or put the sheep in the pen, and then at night his body would be the gate. So nothing could come in or go out except through him. And of course that's what Jesus is saying, that I am the way of salvation. Nothing comes into the kingdom except through me. Now, this morning we're looking at his claim to be the good shepherd. And in the scripture, we see five in the Old Testament individual shepherds that in some way point towards Christ. You start with Abel, who is the keeper of the sheep. You might call him the slain shepherd. And then you go to Jacob, who said, the Scripture said, he cared deeply for his sheep. Joseph, the Scripture says, was the feeder of the sheep. Moses, the guider of the sheep. David, the Scripture calls him the protector of the sheep, battling against lions and bears. Now the sixth shepherd... In the scriptures, in Zechariah eleven sixteen, it says this, I will indeed raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for those who are cut off, nor seek the young, nor heal those who are broken, nor feed those that still stand. So he's there speaking the sixth shepherd as a Jewish king, probably, who was not a good shepherd. And then we see the seventh shepherd, the shepherd of Israel, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Bearing God's perfect number of seven, we find Christ to be the good shepherd. Now, I just want to ask you, he makes a claim here. He says he is the good shepherd, and then he says, I care for my sheep. My friends, if you're a follower of Jesus, do do you believe that? Do you know that to be true? That Christ is a good shepherd, and he really, really cares for you. And and as his sheep, if you're a follower, that means 
there is no unshepherded ground in your life. That even in the midst of turmoil and pain and suffering, He is caring for you and He is shepherding you through it. Well, let me just read John 10, verse 11 to 18. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version of the Scripture this morning. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we praise you that we have a good shepherd. God, and we praise you that you, for the believer, you've called us out of the world And in this dark and dangerous world full of pitfalls, we have a shepherd. And ultimately, he is shepherding us to salvation, eternally to be with his, the redeemed. And we praise you, Father. We praise you. And we want to be a people that look to the shepherd in all times and trust him. And I pray right now that your glory and your greatness as a shepherd would be seen the light of Christ as the good shepherd who cares for the sheep would be seen and felt by the sheep in this room. Lord, use your word to glorify your name, encourage and build up and give joy to your people. Now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Since we're talking about sheep and shepherd, I want to tell you a story of the the best shepherd I ever knew. Um, I lived in Asia for a little while, in Central Asia, close to the Gobi Desert. And I lived in a, an area called a hasha, which is like a big wood fence. And I lived in this little gear. And next to me was an old shepherd by the name of Atkin Surin. And Atkin Surin was about 80 years old when I met him. And one day we're sitting around this fire and we're drinking hot tea and we're talking. And he starts telling me the story of his life. And he's a shepherd. And he said, at one time, I was known to have giant flocks. I had hundreds and hundreds of sheep and goats. And then all my children, they went to the capital city, and they wanted to make a life for themselves. But times were hard. Communism was hard. And so one by one, they came back to me, their father, and they said, can we have 30 sheep, 40 sheep, 50 sheep to start our own flock? And he said, every time I would give. But they were not good shepherds. And they would end up eating the sheep. (laughs) Or the sheep would die. He said, they came again and again and again and again until I was left with one goat. (laughs) 
And he had a picture he showed me of, here's my goat. Everyone in that area, they knew that he was a good shepherd. They knew that. His children knew it. His town knew it. He was a great shepherd. Not because of what he said, but because of his actions. Pouring out his life and giving what he had for his own children. Now in John 10, Jesus tells us he is the good shepherd. And he tells us that he is not a hireling. He's not someone who flees when troubles come. In our lives, most of us have faced many hirelings, haven't we? Right? People that make promises, that have responsibilities, that are supposed to protect us. And when danger comes or difficulty comes, they they leave. They abandon us. So sometimes we become very skeptical about Jesus' claims to be the good shepherd. We think, I've, I've heard that before from my father or my mother or a pastor or a friend or a spouse, and I, I trusted them, and they were a hireling. So just maybe I'm struggling trusting Jesus to really shepherd all aspects of my life. Trusting, believing that He really, really Knows me and cares for me. Rusty, how do I know that Jesus will never leave me nor forsake me? What if I do something bad? How can I confidently say that I trust Jesus to be my good shepherd in all my life? Well, the answer is a man or woman does what they do because of what they are. What they are shows or is shown by what they do. What Jesus did shows who He is and gives you reason to trust Him. So our main idea today is because He lays down His life for the sheep, you can trust Jesus to be your good shepherd. Because of His action on the cross, you can trust that He is the good shepherd who deeply loves for you and cares for you. Now there's two things we want to see. We want to just look at the hireling and then we want to look at the good shepherd. All right, ready to dive in? Did you stay up late last night? Wrapping presents or something? Okay, verse 12 and 13. Let's look at the hireling. Verse 12 and 13. I'll read that once more. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because... He is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Now, what is a hireling? Well, it's someone who doesn't own the sheep. They're paid to watch them. John Wesley said, He is a hireling who will not work without money or being paid, being compensated. So a hireling is someone who professes to be a servant of God, but does a job for the advantages Maybe the money or the glory or the fame that they receive from it. So in a church, sometimes you might see people, particularly pastors or elders, who really are spiritual mercenaries. They work for Christ, but really it's about their own prestige and their own glory. Here he's talking about the Pharisees who in chapter 8 were ready to 
stone a sheep in chapter 9, excommunicated one. So in every way, Jesus is saying they're hirelings. They don't really care for the sheep. A religious person who is above all committed to their own glory and gain, that's a hireling. In the church, for a hireling, religion, Christianity, is an opportunity to show their own greatness, to let it be on display. Like the Pharisees who set up mounds of rules and regulations and then applaud themselves publicly as they keep them. Now, how do you know a hireling? Okay, Rusty, I understand what you're saying. I, I see that. But how do I know a hireling? How does the church know a hireling? Verse 12, look in your Bibles with me. He sees the wolf coming and leaves. The wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. It seems the wolf is any enemy of the sheep and who wants to attack the sheep with the goal of scattering God's people and destroying the church, you might say. And so Jesus here means a person or government, you might say, who destroys the work of the gospel and the unity of the church is a wolf. The peace of the church is destroyed. That's a wolf. Now, the wolf can use physical threats or spiritual untruths to scatter God's people. And notice when that happens. Notice the hireling. Verse 12. He sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The hireling leaves the sheep in difficult times because he's about his own glory and advantage, his own gain or her own gain. In other words, you would never know this person was a hireling and not a shepherd unless the wolf came, unless difficulties came, and then their true nature is revealed. So here's what Jesus is saying. So Christ the shepherd calls his sheep by name. He eternally knows them and has chosen them to be his sheep. He calls them out of the world. They hear his voice and they follow. Following the shepherd is not easy because there are wolves there. Seeking to remove us from the flock, the church. But the good shepherd will keep you to the end, even in the midst of your suffering. He will shepherd you in the most difficult of times. You have a good shepherd believer who is not a hireling. So a man does what he does because he is what he is. People reveal what they are by what they do. Consistency between character and conduct. What you do reveals what you are, and a hireling is revealed by their actions. In 1943, Eric Little, the gold medal Scottish runner, was taken to Japan to be a prisoner in the Weifang camp, or taken to China to be a prisoner. Little had been a missionary in China, and when Japan came in and attacked, they took he and the other missionaries in that area and, and put them in a camp. But Eric Little was a true shepherd who gave himself there to ministry. He cared for the youth in that camp. Eric Little busied himself by helping the elderly, teaching Bible classes for the camp, arranging games, and teaching science for children. They even called him 
Uncle Eric. One captive in the Japanese camp said this about Eric Little. Often in an evening, I would see him bent over a chessboard or a model boat or directing some sort of square dance. Notice these words. Absorbed, weary, and interested. Pouring out himself into this effort to capture the imagination of the pinned-up youth. Because he was famous, this athlete was given the opportunity to return to his own family. In Scotland, Japan offered to release him. But he refused. He was a shepherd. Refused to leave the children. 1945, he died unexpectedly in that camp. Died away from his family and the country that he loved and his church. Langton Gilkey says this about him. The entire camp, especially its youth, was stunned for days. So great was the vacuum that Eric's death had left. Eric Little was showing those children in that camp the glory of Christ as a shepherd and not a hireling as he shepherded them until death. Now, my friends, we are faced with hirelings, aren't we? In all aspects of life, in the church, in business, and in marriage. And at the core of their actions is not what I can give, but what I can get from you. And so I just want to ask you, do you have hireling tendencies or shepherding tendencies? What I mean is, in your relationships, in your commitments, in the church, is there a pattern of doing what is best for yourself all the time and your glory and your gain? Is it about what I can get from people? How my own greatness can be seen? And when people struggle, you simply just put them in the too hard basket and move on to something easier? Or are there shepherding tendencies in your soul? which lovingly and patiently point and lead to the great shepherd during hard times for people, continually to walk with herding sheep because Christ does. Now, as Christians, Christ calls us to love people. 1 Corinthians 13, love is not self-seeking. In other words, as a believer, as Christians... Our lives must be marked by what I can give, how I can pour out, rather than just what I can get from someone. Shepherding hurting people rather than fleeing from them when they're hurting. Now, my friends, I have to tell you, when I became a believer, I'd been a hireling beforehand, and I had a long wake like behind a boat of broken people. And I had to go back and I had to get on the phone and I had to get face to face with a lot of people and confess my sin to them and plead with them to forgive me. And I want to just ask you and encourage you to pursue forgiveness and reconciliation if there are people in your life that you have wounded and you have fled from because that situation was difficult for you. And then I want to also pray that you ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with the fruits of the Spirit, to live like a shepherd. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
You see, the Holy Spirit can take out the hireling heart. He can bring healing where there's been so much wounds, so many wounds in your past. He can restore those relationships, and He can radically change you and give you a heart that really loves God's people. Let's go to the second thing. Let's move from the hireling to the good shepherd. Verse 14 and 15. If you'll look there with me in your Bibles. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Stop there. So what makes Jesus the good shepherd, right? The only one that you can really trust to care for you in a complete way. Well, consider this. He knows you intimately, right? This is what it says in the Scriptures. I know my sheep and am known by my own. As my Father knows me, so I know the Father. Jesus says, I know my sheep. There's a special intimate knowledge of the sheep that He has of you. Sheep alone then also have an intimate relational knowledge of Him. It's a heart knowledge that you have of Jesus and that He has of you. Now, knowing God is a unique knowledge. It's unlike knowing anything else because it's based solely upon revelation, upon Him revealing Himself to you. Therefore, it comes by His grace. He must reveal Himself to us. And when we come to know God personally, that means He has always taken the initiative to call you to Himself. We don't discover Him. He comes and He calls us. And you, as a believer, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you know His voice. You know it. You hear it through the Word. Now, so determine if someone is saved or a believer. We don't examine what facts they learned. We examine, are they living like sheep? <laughs> are they sheep who know and love the voice of Jesus who've come out of the world and they're following Him? Now, how intimate is that relationship between you and Christ? Look in your Scriptures. Notice what He compares it to. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. Listen, there's only one relationship, only one that can be compared to your relationship with Christ. And it's His relationship with the Father. So when Jesus wants to illustrate what your relationship is like with Him, He does it by His relationship with the Father. The oneness of the Father and the Son is compared to the oneness of the sheep and the shepherd, Christ in the church. Which means He knows you so personally and intimately. Every detail of your life and being, He knows. Every feeling, every fear, every frustration, every thought, every anxiety. He knows it. And what makes Him the Good Shepherd is He still unconditionally loves you and cares for you. Your mind is like FaceTime. That's not the right word. <laughs> Facebook? 
Your mind puts it all out there. Christ sees it all. What I'm trying to say, which I didn't say very well just then, is he sees every thought that goes through your mind, every emotion that goes through your heart. And what makes him the good shepherd is he still unconditionally loves you and cares for you. Now, second thing that makes him the good shepherd, and I won't use any uh, face things this time, Christ is the good shepherd because he gives his life for the sheep. Verse 15. And I lay down my life for the sheep. What does it mean that he is the good shepherd? He's good. John uses it a little differently. Remember when Jesus turned the water to wine and it's presented to the master of the feast is good wine? Do you remember that? In John chapter 2. And so he uses that word as the most excellent. So what he's saying about Jesus, he's the most excellent shepherd. Why? Look in the Bible. And I lay down my life for the sheep. He gives his life for you. What makes Christ the most excellent shepherd? He's given his life in place of, instead of, your life. The idea is rescuing the life of another at the expense of his own life. In other words, His excellency as a shepherd is not to just make it possible that you would be saved, but to make it certain that all those who have been given to Him by the Father, He died in their place to take their punishment. So Jesus on the cross as your shepherd bore the weight of your sins. He died for you, not just to make it possible that people could be saved, but he died for you. He had you in mind when he died, if you were a believer. That's why verse 12 says he owns his sheep. You're his. He died for you. He ransomed you. Verse 14 says, I know my own sheep. So part of what it means to be a believer, a sheep, is you're his. You're his sheep. And He is your shepherd. Just like Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, your life is no longer your own, but you have been bought at a price to glorify God in your body and your soul. I heard the story of a young man years ago who was constantly late coming home. And one night they had a very important thing going on and the mother and the father looked at the young man and they got square in his face and they said, Don't be late tonight. And that light, he was later than ever getting home. And when he got home, the mom just opened the door. She didn't say anything. He came in. He sat down at the table. And everybody had their food. And before him was a piece of bread and a glass of water. And the young man was shattered. And the father sat there for a minute let the seriousness of what the young man had done set in, consequences. And then the father took his big plate of awesome food, whatever that was, and put it in front of the boy and got the boy's plate of bread and pulled it back in front of him. And that's what he ate that night. And this is what the boy says when he grew up. All my life, I've known what God is like by what my father 
did that night. He made an exchange for me. My friends, how do we know that Jesus is the good shepherd who really cares for you so that when you struggle, you run to him and not away from him? Every person reveals who they are by what they do. The hireling flees because they're a hireling. Jesus died on the cross because he is the supreme shepherd committed to redeeming his sheep. Now, there's two thoughts. We just want to close with this. Two gospel truths about you being his sheep that we need to understand. First, Christ calls you his sheep because you're clean. Amen? You did stay up late tying packages last night, I can tell, but amen? Christ calls you his sheep because you are clean. First sheep were clean under the law. The sheep were one of the few animals that were considered clean. And so when Jesus calls you sheep, He's calling you that partly because you're clean. The New Testament never calls non-believers sheep, only believers. In other words, the Gospel says that your position before the Father is like a sheep in the sense that you're clean before Him. Second gospel truth here. The second reason the gospel calls you sheep is dependence. The sheep have no way to defend themselves, but are utterly dependent upon the shepherd of all things. My friends, if you're a believer, you are utterly dependent upon the shepherd Christ to save you by faith, through grace, to satisfy you, to really satisfy the cravings of your heart, and to lead you through all the challenges and sufferings of this world. And as a good shepherd, that is just what he does. And he doesn't do it with a bullwhip. He does it in a caring way. Let's pray. Father, I just praise you right now. Thank you that you've revealed yourself to us. You've taken on flesh. Light has come into the darkness of this world, just like it was prophesied for hundreds and hundreds of years beforehand in the person of Christ. And we rejoice that he was born and took on flesh, the perfect man. Lord, and thank you so much. He didn't come to be a harsh military king. He came to be a shepherd. And He calls us out of the world to Himself, Lord, and His sheep He dies for, Lord. He takes upon Himself our sin. And we thank You that now You know us, You see every aspect of our lives, and yet You still are nurturing and caring and loving as You shepherd us. And so we praise You and we worship You in Jesus' name. Amen.